0: Hi, Mark Raven here. You can now download a free PDF preview of my upcoming book, The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation. To read the introduction, chapter one, and more information about the book, visit the book's new website at mistakesbook.com. And for the chapter, go to mistakesbook.com chapter. Episode 196, Joe Perello, President and CEO of Props you know,
1: if you're not making mistakes, you're not, you're not learning, you're not doing big enough stuff.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So This is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Joe, his company, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 196. As always, thanks for listening. And now, on with the episode. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Our guest today is Joe Perello. He's the president and CEO of Props, a first-of-its-kind marketing technology platform that enables direct-to-consumer brands. You can learn more at their website, www.props.co. Joe is also currently a member of the Board of Directors of New New York Cruise Lines. And before I tell you more about his very interesting career and before I stumble over more words, Joe, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hey, Mark,
1: thank you for having me. Good to be here, appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm excited to hear your story and there's a lot we can talk about here today. But prior um, to Props, Joe co-founded and led a New York-based digital agency. He bootstrapped that into an award-winning shop. In 2003, then-Mayor Michael Bloomberg appointed Joe to be the first chief marketing officer of the city of New York. So Joe and his team created the first self-funded marketing and promotional engine in the city's history. They generated more than $100 million and led to unprecedented results in tourism. Now, Joe was also previously vice president of business development for the New York Yankees during some of their most successful seasons. He reported to the late George Steinbrenner. And uh, Joe is a graduate of the University of Delaware with a degree in history or journalism. So, uh, Joe, again, thank you for being here. Um, you're I'm sure interested in, in New York Yankees history. Was that part of your draw of uh, taking a job there?
1: Um, no actually i I worked for a um, a credit card bank at the time called MBNA America and the Yankees were my client so I'd go visit them all the time um, got to know their their head of uh, marketing who's now his name's Derek Schiller he's now the CEO of uh, the Atlanta braves among and and their sports properties and got to know Derek pretty well and he was like, "Hey, I'm going to leave here. You know, you want to take my job?" <laughs> and I said, "I said, sure, yeah. I'd love to." <laughs> yeah, and so were- there was no plan to like, you know, no plan to be the VP of the New York Yankees. It sort of just happened, and I got lucky.
0: Well, I'm glad you could take advantage of that opportunity, as they say, luck benefits the prepared. So, you know. Um- more than just luck involved there and maybe we can come back and uh, talk a little bit about that in addition to your current company props but um you know joe as, as we normally do here um, I would love to hear your story you know thinking back to the different things you've done uh, what's your favorite mistake
1: Hey, i thought about this a lot i i think the premise of the the podcast is great uh because you know if you're not making mistakes you're not you're not learning you're not doing big enough stuff right and you're not learning and the biggest mistake that I made that turned out not to be a mistake was um, separating myself from rela- certain relationships with people. And, and I'll tell you why I, I, I thought the, that I was making a mistake at the time. And the reason is because I was sort of like professionally raised as a a sort of a networker, right? Like, you know, biz dev is important, sales is important. I've been in marketing my whole life. So, you know, in marketing, you're like grow, make more connections, build more relationships, right? It's just like you don't shrink. If you're shrinking, you're failing. So I would I would essentially try and build relationships with as many people as I could because I thought that was our pathway to success. It wasn't until really I, I was much older that I started to be more disciplined about the relationships that I would invest time in. Now, this is still really was still really hard for me to say no to someone, and especially as like a networker, right, or as a growth person, really hard hard for me to say no. I was in a business relationship with with people and I had a really hard time separating. And I did. It was very difficult. And I felt in my bones that it was the wrong thing to do. I felt like I was making a mistake by severing, you know, my relationship with, with, with these business associates. And it turned out to be the best thing I ever, I ever did. It was the smartest thing I ever did because it put me on a path towards where I am today. Right. Which is the co-founder of a software company essentially in charge of my own destiny to a, to a large degree and un, unencumbered by relationships that I didn't. Make. Yeah. So it was, it was really hard for me to do it at the time, but it's, Turned out to be the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. Now, did that mean leaving a company, or did it just yeah, yeah, you know? meant
1: leaving a company that I helped start.
0: Okay. So I want to make sure you it meant leaving a company, not just sort of breaking off. Hey, I'm not going to meet you for lunch every month anymore, or whatever the networking was. This was
1: no. I mean, I include those in there, but those are sort of easy. Those are easier, and I, and I have separated myself from certain people that I decided. I wasn't going to invest any more time in this relationship. And again, and those were hard, they're hard to do because as a biz dev person, you're like, well, they could be a prospect one day. <laughs> like they, it could turn into something. Um, but I, I, I made this decision and my wife has actually been a, a big part of it. Right. Cause she's more tough when it comes to relationships with me. She's, you know, she's sort of, has, uh, she's more skeptical in a good way than I am. I'm just like, no, everyone's great. It's all great. We're okay. all going to be fine.
0: <laughs> Could be the mistake of being a little too trusting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Too, you know, I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't say trusting, but more willing to invest the time. Ah, uh, okay. In into the relationship to see where it would come. So, so my wife's rubbed off on me in a, in a good way.
0: So, so when you left that company, I mean, what were the reasons for doing so and and why would you do it if it felt like a mistake at the time?
1: Well, I mean, look, it's a work divorce, right? So divorces are hard. Right. And I could have either said, no, I'm going to make this work or no I'm going to separate. And, and it was the right thing to do is separate. Um, because I wanted to go one way, you know, my, 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 Colleagues wanted to go another way. The relationship was sort of deteriorating anyway, and it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do for them. It was the right thing to do for me. It, it was just really, really, really hard to do at the time to say I'm going to separate. Yeah,
0: I mean, it sounds like it was painful. I mean, was was it just a question? And it sounds like you 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 knew it was the right thing to do. Was there just fear of well, then what next? Was that not Lined up clearly. Totally.
1: It was, I had no idea what I was going to do next. That's really where the fear was. It was mm-hmm. like, all right, yeah, this pro- relationship probably isn't working. I probably could make it work. But, and I don't have a safety net, right? So that the fear stepped in big time, right? And I did this at a point in my life where I had mortgages and private school and tuition and, you know, like, like most middle-aged guys have
0: yeah so that's that's some context where I mean what I hear you saying is it was necessary, but it was painful and it created a lot of uncertainty. but when, how did you come to start viewing it as the best thing that happened to you? It was feeling like a mistake or it was feeling really uncertain. Yeah but what happened next? it's it's
1: so ironic how how things happen. I mean, I remember taking the train home that day, just feeling really, really down. Like a, this has ended. Not sure if I really like got anything out of the relationship. You know, I, I, I of course, I did. Right. Um, in hindsight, but just down. And and a friend called me, and he's like, "Hey, I, I came across this company, and they're looking for a leader, and I thought you'd be great. You know, can I connect you to the co-founder?" It was like that day. I I was I I was on the train. And so, you know, I I don't know if I sort of clung to that because I was so, you know, unclear on what I was gonna do. Um, but I I ended up coming to meet the co-founders of what props used to be. It's 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 very, very different now. I mean, it's a different company. But I met the investors and they recruited me, and so that set me on this path. And, and so at that point, not soon after I was like, wow, this is probably a good thing. I'm glad I I'm glad I severed this relationship, but there was also other people that I've, I've, I've made this and I don't want you, I don't want you to, you know, make it seem like I'm just cutting people off left and right. I can count them on my, on one hand. Sure. Like how many people I've said, okay, no more. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: But these, I mean, you know, big decisions like these are are difficult. I mean, there's the judgment call if you think you're making the best decision in the moment. And then sometimes time reveals, okay, that was a mistake. I've had guests here talk about the mistake of leaving some job too soon. And someone else will have a story about, I stuck with that too long. Like these are, I mean, it could be a mistake to stick with something. You know, do we stick with it? Do we say, look, it's not working and move on, move on. I mean, these, these are really difficult judgment calls. We might not have hundred percent clarity before making a decision.
1: It's very hard, especially if you're a part of making the enterprise, because at some point it feels like you have to cut off like one of your fingers. And so that clouds your judgment a lot. You have personal pride, you know, is involved. I don't care, you know, if anyone has their ego in check, you know, per, your personal pride is, it plays a big role in this. Then there's the fear of the, of the uncertainty of the future, you know, am I, and then there's always, Oh, someone's going to judge my career. I'm like, none of that shit matters. Excuse me. None of that stuff matters. You know, like I look back at it and I'm like, my God, I learned so much, like so much of, of what I did sort of running an advertising agency, I'm applying it, you know, every single day and teaching, you know, and teaching the, the younger staff that I have on, on how to manage clients and set their expectations the right way. Right. And sort of say no to clients that I don't think are going to pay out. All of that is so valuable in my, in my work today. And, and teaching, you know, teaching my team how to, you know, sort of jump over the the 15 years of me doing that. Like if I could teach them how to do that in one, that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah.
0: So first off, not a huge mistake to say shit, that's fine. So I, okay. said it once now. <laughs> I don't think we need to mark the episode explicit for that. <laughs> um, I appreciate you mentioning the learning joke, because that's really what the podcast here is meant to celebrate, right? It's not yeah. to make ourselves feel bad about the mistakes, but to celebrate the learning and the growth. And, and, and you're alluding to that. And I guess I was going to ask, you know, a follow-up question. If that, if that previous situation was something you described as a work divorce, were there any kind of lessons learned or reflections or are there anything that you could do differently to prevent some of that, yeah. um, that situation popping up in the future? Or Yeah.
1: I mean, the, the number, the first thing is, you know, you have to take responsibility for the relationships that you build, like you know sort of in the heat of battle you can sort of lay blame on others but you know i could have managed a relationship differently that doesn't mean that the outcome may have been different right right but i i looked and said how could i have managed this relationship differently and i could have absolutely positively changed things so number one is i took responsibility for the relationships and how they worked out
0: yeah you can- and I
1: took a lot of lessons from that and said, okay, you know, it's, it can't always be one sided. Sure. You have to protect your integrity and you have to protect sort of what you care about, but you also have to compromise, you know, every single day. And when I look back on things, I it's like, Hey, you know what? I wasn't willing to compromise on, on certain things. And that certainly contributed to you know our relationship, and I took resp- i take responsibility for that, and it's also helped me, you know, in my new endeavor and saying, you know, you got to take responsibility. You're not perfect, um, and other people's points of view matter, and and it's very likely they're probably better, and you yeah. should listen to them. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, you know, I no, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I mean, we can take responsibility for our own actions or our own inaction. Um, like you said, a work relationship in, a, in an organization, it's it's more complex. It's uh, like you said, you, you can take you can learn uh, and, and and do things differently. It doesn't mean the situation necessarily is going to work out because other people have their role they play. If you made certain mistakes and you know a, along the way, and they've also made mistakes, yeah. How do we, but, you know, you can
1: only, you can only take responsibility for your own behavior. You cannot control how everyone else is going to behave. And it actually sort of got me into like, which is like a craze today, but I started reading, um, so Ryan holiday sort of became popular at the time that I was going through this and it was very appropriate, right? Cause his whole approach to stoicism is focus on the things you can control. And it's always been a, it's always been sort of a mantra of mine. But at the time I started, you know, really taking that to heart. I had time, I could read. And and that had made a big difference for me is, well, what can I control here? And the only thing you control is your own behavior, or your own reaction to what happens to you. You can't control other people's behavior. Um, and so, if you, A, you have to take responsibility for yourself. And B, you, you know, you can only control what happened? How you react to things, mm-hmm. right? And do your best. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think it's interesting within a team dynamic if people are making mistakes. Like I, I, I think you know, um, admitting a mistake if, if if both sides or multiple parties within a team are willing to admit mistakes and and work through it, I, I think that's probably helpful in terms of relationships but if everyone yeah. sort of doubles down or digs in on their mistake well it's not 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 my mistake it's you know it's not it's not the mistake of what i said it's your mistake and how you reacted to it you know that that could get dysfunctional
1: 100% and it's also that has been a tenant of how we work at props today and it you know part of it is because i want to create an environment where you know, you could be wrong. And, you know, our co-founder, Oliver Blodgett, feels the same way. And we try, to, we, we don't always succeed, <laughs> but we try to create an environment where people can propose things and 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 be wrong. And we're wrong all the time. And sort of when we say, hey, let's try this, let's try that. We could be wrong and we could be proven right. wrong. We're like, yeah, we were wrong. Okay, move on. Not yeah. the end of the world. You right. know what I mean? We right. don't know everything. So, I mean, it. look, it's harder when you've got younger staff because they don't want to look bad. Right? Your team, they want everyone wants to look good. I want to look good. Everyone wants to look good. You don't want to look stupid. So you really have to go out of your way to say, okay, there's no bad ideas. Everyone speak up. And then, there's, then you sort of match that with the intensity of performing every day, right? So there's like, okay, I want everyone to speak up, but we also have to deliver for the client and therefore, you know, e- either we perform or we're out. So you have to manage the intensity of delivering results every day and also sort of the openness of. Of allowing people to come up with ideas, and it's it's a balance. It's like you almost have to be, you know, you have to do the opposite every day, because managing intense performance, you know, requires accountability and follow through and follow up, and you know, in creating a creative environment where you can be open means, you know, relaxing all those things temporarily.
0: Well, I mean, so, it seems like if, if, if you don't go out of your way to create an environment where it's okay through your words and your actions, where it's okay to try new things that don't work out, how, how can there be creativity? If people are in be. constant fear of being wrong or constant yeah. fear of making a mistake, it can't happen, right? Then the other thing
1: here is you also have to have people that have a little bit of a thicker skin, like, like it's not personal. Because you can't just walk around and say, okay, we're all sort of snowflakes here and you're always right, you you know you also have to sort of manage it you know merge it with, yes, but we have to perform at the end of the day. Yeah. So if you come up with an idea and you were wrong, you have to be able to say, hey that, that wasn't right. I would do it this way next time and sort of and still have the same level of enthusiasm going forward if you propose something and it didn't work out you know you can't shrink you have to be able to have the fortitude to come back and say well I'm going to come back smarter and not lose any sense of confidence and that and that just comes from not taking things personally
0: so so how do you help encourage that as a leader you're working with with young younger people are there are there things you can do or your co-founder can do to help them bounce back
1: Yeah. So we have rules now in our meetings, right? So we have daily performance meetings where we only talk about the performance. And, and then we have meetings where it's more open, like where there's it's anything's, anything's allowable. Um, And then we have sort of quarterly meetings where it's like, there's no rules. You could propose anything. You've got to think it through. You can't just like, Oh, well I think we should do this. Well, got to make the case um and so we but but what's funny is oliver and i are the ones that, that have to discipline ourselves not to get off track like uh oh. we're the ones who
0: violate the rules <laughs>
1: well, the most the time
0: so you could be wrong as
1: we're yes the, we're, we're the ones who say well you know we get off track and we try and mm-hmm focus on daily performance when we're doing a brainstorming thing because we look we want to win right but i think the thing that we say the most for the whole team is i don't want to be right i just want to win that's what we say over and over and over again i don't i don't i don't want to be right i just want to win
0: yeah with supply chains becoming more complex I mean, this this idea of wanting to be right or needing to be right, I mean, if, if you, you, I think it all connects where you talk about an environment where you can be wrong. Like I'm playing around with different subtitles for the book I'm writing, um, kind of inspired by the podcast here. And one phrase, I don't know if it makes a good subtitle, is something like how getting it wrong helps us get it right. Mm-hmm. because that environment where you can be wrong leads to improvement. I mean, you talk about wins, like learning from small losses leads to wins. So you think of the football analogy, you you come out, play the game, you have a certain strategy on offense, you're yeah. getting stoned. You've got to learn from that. And those right. small losses, the first couple of times you have the ball could lead to an adjustment that then leads the game. So the worst criticism you know, of a football coach or of a business owner is like being stubborn like well, we had our game plan, and we just needed to execute it better. At some point, you need to say the game plan was a mistake, and pivot. Right,
1: hundred percent. Especially today. So, look, I was I grew up sort of as a direct marketer, right? And direct marketers, it's just test and learn, and test and learn. So, you know, you just to say you run nine campaigns, eight of them failed, one of them was a winner, and now you're not. So you won.
0: Oh, interesting!
1: Yeah, and so in in the, you know the digital marketing, digital media landscape, we're in the direct response business, and so you you can't just you're not going to pick a winner tomorrow. You're gonna you're gonna test ten things, seven of them are going to fail, and you're only going to have spent a little bit of money on those seven three of them are going to win it and you're going to have unlocked a new audience and you're going to unlock success. If you don't go in, you have to go in it. like, okay, most of these things are going to fail and you put the guardrails on there. So you don't, so you don't blow the whole enterprise up with those seven failures. And that's how that's direct response marketing one-on-one. I try to apply that to sort of everything that we do is you've got to test and learn You know, was a Silicon Valley, mantra, fail fast and cheap, same idea. And I think that has proliferated most of our culture today, way more than it existed when I entered the workforce, you know, in, in the nineties. Yeah. But it I, was, if you fail, you stink.
0: Mm-hmm. Say that again, if you failed, you.
1: and Yeah. When I, when I started in the workforce, it was, if you fail, you stink. Yeah. And today If you fail and you come away with the lessons and how you can apply it, then you've won.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Provided that you can execute better the next time.
0: That's the learning, right? So, I mean, it seems I love that idea of test and learn. You're right. Um, Entrepreneurship, lean startup methodologies, talk about, you know, testing your hypothesis. At some point, you're shifting from opinions that lead to a hypothesis. And then at some point, that gets replaced with data. And you know, I mean, I mean how, how, how do you fight the urge? I mean, I imagine someone sees the early returns, if you will, like, well, we just need to give it more time. Like, There's a judgment call of like, how much data is enough to decide that that strategy is winning or losing. Or does that become pretty obvious if, if you're actually looking at data?
1: In the digital marketing space, it is, I think it's easy because you have so many different options. You have so many different audiences. It's like it's almost like you can't really screw up major league if you if you switch gears too early. You know what I mean? It's it's not. We're not making Super Bowl commercials here, mm-hmm. right? That you can. That's really a big. Up. That's a big. Bet. <laughs> you could screw that yeah. up pretty yeah. big, you know. Yeah. But in the world of sort of direct response marketing and content marketing, like you know when we do when we publish and promote content from our clients websites we'll pretty much promote four or five stories from four or five different independent experts and two of them probably aren't going to work but we've only spent 3 grand on that and so the clients are sort of they're like wow it's great i thought this was going to work awesome it doesn't work but these three others work and we only spend a few thousand bucks on that right Right. So there's, you know, there's really never a disaster in my mind. The only disaster is if you don't pay attention.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So So, uh, I want to learn a little bit more about um, props. And you you mentioned the company had pivoted. Maybe tell us a little bit about the pivot and and tell us more about what it is that, that you and props do today.
1: Sure. So when I was recruited here by the investors, there was really no business plan. There was a sort of this like vague idea of essentially medium with brand sponsorship. And, um, it was very creator focused and not really brand focused. So, so basically I was just like, like, there's nothing here. We're just going to blow this up. And the only thing that's really valuable are the investors. um, and so I was like, all right, I'll figure this out. And we came up with this idea and I had always been married to this idea of if you bet on authentic content in any form, my bet was you're always going to win. If you, if you don't dilute that idea, right? So we came from the world of sort of influencers right and branded content and we're we eschewed that we're like that's not who we are what we're going to do is we're going to bring the credibility and authenticity of journalism Hmm. to the world of direct response marketing okay that's that was really the idea we're also going to do this using sort of the attractiveness of independent content creators that that's everyone was sort of being drawn to these influencers because like I said, they, if one of them didn't work, you just use another one. Now we don't go that far. We spend a lot more time curating the content creators, right? But that, that was the idea is attractiveness of we're leveraging this gig economy. Then we departed big time from the original idea and we said there's no medium there's no props there's no website where we're going to drive people to we're going to put the content where it matters most which is on the brand's website directly okay seems simple (laughs) you know when we proposed this to the our our prospective clients they were like why are you going to put it on my website like how Yes, it's going to be on your website. So it's going to be a, a a story made by someone who has probably written for the Wall Street Journal or Condé Nast Traveler. Like so, they're legit.
0: Mm-hmm. And th- what I say is
1: your your mom thinks these people are talented. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah.
1: Number two, they're going to write about subject matter that is related to what you do, but not you. So they would say, "Well, where's my brand?" you don't need your brand in the story because it's on your website. Oh, okay. Got it. How are you going to get people to read it? Great question. We're going to promote it with paid media and we're going to promote it through the author, right? This was when sort of whitelisting was totally brand new and we really had to explain that idea of whitelisting a person and spending paid media dollars to promote their story. So now Props is now four years old. We've got more than a dozen clients. We've proven this model over and over and over and over again. And essentially, what we do is we we publish and promote authentic content directly from our clients' websites, and we promote it through the author, reaching the audiences that are going to respond at the highest rate for that content. I'll give you a, a real easy example. So one of our clients is College Ave Student Loans. Awesome company, pioneering in the college, in the student lending space, great, a great journey, all digital. It's really smart. They want to reach parents of high school seniors between the months of April and June and only in those months. So they don't want to reach the students, right? Because the students don't have the credit to back the loan. So we need to reach the parents. So simple. Our content creators have all written books on how to get into college, how to deal with your kids when they go into college, how to manage your kid's process of getting into college. It's all about parenting for the high school kid who's about to go to college. And they're, they've they all written books. They're all former authors. And so, you know, five tips for how to get into college what to do when your your kid is worried about college managing all the stress around that so number 1 is the kids never click on that article sure cuz it's for parents yeah two is the parents always click on that article because they're <laughs> stressed out about mm-hmm. you know this crazy process yeah and and that's how we attract people in we never talk about college app we're mm-hmm. only talking right. about about the process and the stress and the solutions mm-hmm. for how to manage your kid when they're about to go to college and yeah. this has proven to unlock audiences that would normally ignore the ad
0: yeah that's smart so now it sounds like
1: now they're being introduced to college app and now they're they become a prospect for maybe I'll maybe I'll use college app too
0: yeah
1: so but well, like- and it it's proven to be the the one of the, be- the most efficient ways for college app to source new loans
0: yeah well that's great and the, um the, you, you, being digital and you, know, you you can look at the uh, the data and the impact there but yeah it sounds like there was this kind of this old mindset of people thinking well I need articles written about me my right. firm in other places then then people will come to my site well who cares about me they care about their problem and their situation and yes you know. and, and then I'm sure through like you said paid um promotion or good old Google search results. If you can, if you can figure that out, that's going to bring people to the website and yeah. that content builds trust. It's informative and like, Oh, college app student loans seem like uh helpful people. Well, You nailed We're, it. You nailed it more. with
1: right. the trust. You nailed it with the trust is this is a trust. This is, you're setting a relationship up based on trust and authenticity. And, And the biggest shift in marketers' minds is to think like a publisher, right? Because a a marketer, you said it, Mark. You said the marketer is like me first, right? Where's my brand? Where's my offer? Me, 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 me. The way the publisher thinks is audience. What does the audience want to read? How do I engage the audience? Audience, 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 audience. And everything is engineered based on the audience. So we let brands think like a publisher, put the audience first, since the content's on the website, then the brand can be me first, me too. Like they have to, they have to, they got to drive a commercial result. So the model is set up so that brands can actually think like publishers and still get a return.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why the that's paid right. media is so important.
0: So I know you 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 focus here on authenticity. Are are there mistakes that marketers make? Like is is, what's more the more common problem? Just being inauthentic, or failed attempts at authenticity? Like probably now that I'm saying that out loud, like if you're trying too hard to be authentic, it's probably not authentic.
1: Yeah. So that's a good question. We set up our platform to protect authenticity without forcing it and it seems at first risky and i'll explain so when we curate writers and and photographers and filmmakers we do it all with a A AR team like imagine a record label they have an AR team we have an AR team right and they're out there looking for new talent and they use you know Manual searches with some art with some AI to curate a group of content creators that are going to resonate, they think, the best towards the subject matter. Whether we're writing for FTD or writing for AAA, or we're making content for a bank or student lending, they're curating content creators that they think are going to tell the best story that's relevant to this audience. Number two. The creators actually come up with the ideas that they're going to write about. All we do is say, hey, you know, parents are dealing with these three issues and college ad would like to hear your thoughts on these three issues. And the creators pitch the ideas themselves. And we've created this sort of virtual edit meeting Mm -hmm. where the clients can actually see these pitch ideas and they can and they pick one. Mm -hmm. So we're not in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. We're not, and the client's not dictating anything. So that's number one: is the the stories are from the experts themselves. Number two is the client. I mean, I'm sorry, the creators. Technically, they have Final Cut, mm-hmm. so a client can certainly make suggestions on what they how they want to edit. If those are reasonable suggestions, they are get they'll get made. But the creator can say, "I'm not going to publish that. Oh. I'm not going to make those edits," mm-hmm. and because we have clients we need to serve them we we make sure that there's another creator that Mm -hmm. will fill those shoes so we protect the integrity of the creator Mm -hmm. right but also respect the commercial need of the client yeah and that's where we sort of create this authenticity at every step of the way
0: well joe i think you've been really authentic with us today and kind of talking through your story professionally and and Learning from mistakes and, and and working there at um at props. So I'll give you props for that. I guess I had to be <laughs> said. It's not that creative. You, you but wouldn't be the you wouldn't be the first. I know. That. But um you <laughs> can go to props.co. Um not don't make the mistake of going to props.com, go to props.co and um you can learn more about Joe and, and props and their approach. And um let me let me ask one other question here if you'll indulge me. Like that time working. For George Steinbrenner, I mean, such such a legendary persona. But those of us in the public may be making the mistake of being fooled by, you know, kind of the the persona or Larry David mocking him and in Seinfeld yeah. and like that. You know, that 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 you know, um, do we make the mistake of confusing the legend with the person? I'm curious what reflections you might have um, that you could share with us about George Steinbrenner.
1: I think that, well, first, I miss him dearly. I really do miss him, and working for him was a highlight of my career. Number two is the thing that I learned from George the most, the boss, was what it really takes to win. What does it really take to win at anything, let alone Major League Baseball? And, and he, you know, his behavior and drive really showed me, this is what you have to do to win. And it's not easy and you need diligence and persistence, you know, and you got to pull yourself up. So I, the number one thing I learned from George is here's what it takes to win. Because I came from a corporate environment and, you know, great experience at MBNA America, amazing experience. But I was protected. There were, there, were, there were people around me that also wanted to win, but they, were, they would help me. They had coaching. I had you know, I had help. And then you go into an environment, you know, in the South Bronx at the Yankees, and I don't want to say it was every man for himself, but it was an environment where you had to perform, and if you didn't perform nobody else was going to be there to perform and thankfully i learned really fast and did you know really great work for george and loved working on the team and, you know the other side of this is this is the new york yankees so you know was it me I, a little bit but it was mostly the yankees <laughs> you know <laughs> it was mostly the yankees you know did i get some extra revenue for the boss that he maybe wouldn't have gotten of course i did i, I absolutely did um but yeah, you know, look, it's the New York Yankees. So yeah. could I have done that for the Twins? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit. Um, but the boss was a unique guy, incredibly generous. Mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you a quick story. You know, the boss would get really upset when you did stupid stuff. Mm. And rightfully, you did stupid stuff. He would get upset. If you made big mistakes, like you tried hard and you swung big and you missed, he would be right there. Hey, kid, listen, you tried it. Huh. Good job. You know, okay, we'll get him next time. Like, I was, re- I thought I was dead. I made, you know, I made some big mistakes with honest, tried hard, mm-hmm. swung and, and missed, and he was there. Like, wow, we're going to get him. We're going to get him next time,
0: kid. Call me a kid because I so, was a kid. <laughs> well, what, what, was it a difference between, you know, not all feel. You know, we talk about learning from mistakes and learning from failure, but I would argue not all failure is created equal. You you alluded to this earlier: the failed Super Bowl commercial versus a failed yeah. experiment on a direct campaign. Um, did do you think he distinguished between? The stupid thing that shouldn't have even been tried versus, well, here here's an idea everyone thought was good, but we just didn't execute or just didn't pan out. And that's where he was yes. supportive.
1: Yes, absolutely. He would, you know, he cared about rules and you wanted to follow the rules. and If you didn't follow the rules in terms of like day to day, he would be upset with you. and And I certainly broke some of the rules by impulsivity you know or just because i was immature but no not not enough to to really irk him and also my performance was was great right the team's performance was good we were making money george was happy there are big things that we tried to do and some of it we succeeded wildly and george wouldn't always give you credit but you knew he he knew and then there were things where you tried and where you like failed miserably and he, and, he, and he knew what you were trying to do. He knew you were trying to, you know, further the team and and he was there to pick you up and encourage you. And there, those are the times I remember mm-hmm. about George the boss oh, no. is wow. when when you really tried to swing big and you, and you failed and he was there. Because he knew he wanted you to go out and do it again, try mm-hmm. again, maybe you'd succeed the next time. And he didn't want you to be discouraged, you know, because you thought you were going to get yelled at yeah. unless you did something stupid, yeah. <laughs> and then he would yell at you,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank thank you, Joe, for painting you know a more complete picture.
1: I, I, I figured
0: <laughs> I figured the 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 caricature on Seinfeld was 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 just that a caricature. But you know, it's interesting yeah. to look and, and 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 see. I looked this up. So I grew up a. Yankees fan when a lot of, the, or not, I, I grew up, not a Yankees fan. I grew up a Detroit Tigers fan, but this was all happening in the quote unquote Bronx zoo in the first 23 seasons of owning the team. He changed managers 20 times. Steinbrenner did Billy Martin alone was fired and rehired five times. Yeah. What a fascinating dynamic there. Of Well, was I was mistake? fired
1: twice by
0: George. You were.
1: Yes. And people said, look, if you didn't get fired, then you're not trying hard enough. <laughs>
0: So I was like, so, "Oh, that's something." <laughs> so fired twice. So fired, rehired, fired, and then rehired. Yeah, then you then you left voluntarily. So rehired twice. Yes. Yeah.
1: Left. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I I left to go try my hand at the internet with David Bowie it was the <laughs> that's what lured me away to try and uh, get rich really quick with the internet.
0: Back in the Which dot. Does, com. Yeah, that
1: never happens. Yeah, It was too late. I got the .dotnet not uh, the dot com wow <laughs>
0: well Joe wow this has been fascinating um there's there's so much more uh, I wish I could ask you but I appreciate you for your time today and everything that you have shared with us I will encourage people to go check out props.co um learn more about what Joe and his team there are doing and 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 thank you again for sharing I think some really interesting you know and nuanced perspectives about the late. George Steinbrenner, the boss. So thank you. Thank you. again. You got it. That. Real appreciate it, Joe. Thank you. All right, Mark. Take care. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks again to Joe Pirello for being our guest today and for sharing so many interesting stories and insights with us. To learn more about him and his company props, look for links in the show notes or go online markraben.com slash mistake 196. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is my mistakepodcast.com.